0: Welcome back from your holiday weekend. This is Rob Port on 970 WDAY. Good afternoon, Natil. How are you?
1: Not too bad. It's a little gloomy outside down here today, but it sounds like the weather's finally going to start turning around.
0: It's a little gloomy after a holiday weekend. It's it's tough to get started after a weekend like that.
1: Yeah, well, and it wasn't exactly the nicest weekend either. It was It was chilly. It was a little drizzly. Yeah, it was windy. And so, you true. know, we're... We're back at it on Monday, and I feel like, oh, I didn't even really get to enjoy the whole weekend.
0: It's not even really Monday.
1: Oh, it, you're right. It's not. It feels like it's Monday. Tuesday. It's Tuesday. It feels like those, Monday.
0: Uh, but uh, that is, uh, it's like an additional benefit of the three-day weekend. It's not only do you get the extra day off, is when you come back to work, you walk around thinking all day it's Monday, and then until you realize, no, we're already one day into this week. Woo! Feeling pretty good about that. All right, so. Uh, coming up here at 1.30, we're going to talk with uh, UND economist David Flynn. You know, obviously, North Dakota's economy has been, uh, you know, I, on everybody's mind. Um, it impacted the budget, how much revenue was available for various programs and whatnot. Um, it's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, something a lot of people thinking about, a lot of people talking about. Uh, so we're going to have on uh, Mr. Flynn to talk about, you know, where's North Dakota's economy at right now? Are we in a recession? Did we go through a recession? Are we coming out of a recession? What holds what's next? We'll talk with him about all that coming up here at 1:30. Um, something I wrote about today and it's a pretty big deal out in western North Dakota, but really it's it's a, it's a big deal for the state of North Dakota on two fronts. It's the Davis refinery, uh, it's a crude oil refinery. Uh, being built uh, near Belfield, North Dakota, uh, somewhat near the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And there was an article over the weekend uh, where a, a group of people, including a former director of the park, Valerie Naylor, uh, are, are coming together and they're opposed to the refinery. And, and the reason why this is a big deal for the region is, is two things. First of all, this is the first Greenfield crude oil refinery built in the United States in something like 40 years. Um, it's a big deal. This doesn't happen very often. It hasn't happened very often. They're going for it, and really, I mean, it's it's a big deal for oil production in our region because it's a it's another place to to take that oil. All right, it's another place to put that oil. It expands the market for North Dakota oil. It would be a positive thing for the oil industry. Now, the argument, the other reason why it's important for the entire state, is because. Te- Theodore Roosevelt National Park is a is an asset for this region, right? People from all over the region travel there. It's a beautiful area. It's a wonderful area. And everybody has an interest in protecting that, right? I mean, we want to keep that area pristine. We want to keep that area uh, not only for our current generation but for few generations to come uh, to keep it a very, very nice place to visit. Um, and so I, I guess the claims being made is that the, the refinery – is going to be a threat. And this is what Valerie Naylor said. She told this to the Associated Press over the weekend. I quote, to put an oil refinery within view of the park would be a betrayal of the conservation values of the park's namesake. Uh, She goes on, uh, an oil refinery has no business at the doorstep of a national park. We wouldn't allow an oil refinery to be built within view of Yellowstone or Yosemite. And it should be no different for Theodore Roosevelt. Um, I, I, I saw those comments, and a couple of things. A couple of things jumped out at me. First of all, they're talking about this being built at the doorstep of the national park, and maybe this is maybe this is a little bit too much of a quibble, but it's it's really not. It's miles away from the national park. Uh, it's to, to say that it's being built on the doorstep makes it sound like you're going to have to like drive past the refinery to get into the park. It's it's just not true. It's just not true. It's it's a significant distance from the park, uh, and the other point is she says I you know basically it's within view of the park, and it's not within view of the park, and as a matter of fact about a year ago last summer, they actually tested this, right? So if if you've been to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, there's a place in there called Buck Hill. It's the highest part of the bar, uh, highest part of the park. Um, basically you could go up to to, to the top uh, and it's you know, you could see for miles around it's it's beautiful, very popular hiking destination. Uh, so what they did is is they actually, Meridian, which is the company that's trying to build the Davis refinery, they went and put a balloon up up a hundred or not a balloon, a kite, excuse me, an eleven foot wide kite uh, that was red, and they put it one hundred and fifty feet up in the air at the park. And they went then to Buck Hill, and they went up there, and with binoculars, could not see the kite. Not with binoculars. So the idea that, that, that the refinery, and this was, uh, this, this was done from, um, this was done with the Bismarck Tribune present. As a matter of fact, this is quoted from the Bismarck Tribune article. I quote, the big red kite wasn't visible even with binoculars. And I've got that all linked up. i got a map and everything at sayanythingblog.com if you want to check this out. So what's being claimed is this idea that this refinery, and again, the refinery itself is a big deal. First greenfield crude oil refinery in 40 years, big deal for North Dakota oil industry. They're saying, well, it shouldn't be built there because it's it's on the doorstep of the park and it's visible for the park. And I don't think either thing is demonstrably true. And and I think it's unfortunate that the people opposed to this refinery are starting out misleading people. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at wday. dot com. We got a caller, John. You're up. Hey, Rob. Hey, hey when they flew that
2: when they flew that kite, it was a nice twenty five below day with no wind, and knows there smoke coming out of that kite.
0: Well, it was July.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, in all fairness, Rob, I mean, you've got a point. But here's the thing: there's going to be smoke coming out of this stack. You know, here in Fargo, we have American Crystal Sugar that on a day when it's 25 below zero and no wind, my God, you can see that stack for for 30 miles. You know, so I think a 150-foot kite that's 11 feet in red is really not a true and accurate, yeah, maybe we won't be able to see the end of the smokestack, but they're going to see the smoke rolling out of that sucker. Just so? guarantee ya.
0: I, I guess I guess uh, you know maybe I mean it's it's miles and miles away but I mean if, if, how many, if that's how, no, the no. point how, what is miles and miles away seven as the crow flies seven so here's here's the problem this is where they're trying to build the refinery is private property right I, I understand that the park itself is federal property but at which point, you know, at what point can we say, well, you're not allowed to do this because I can see on the horizon, I might be able to see some steam or some smoke or something coming up out of this refinery. I mean, is that fair? That we can't well, develop other well, land, other the, places? Because from, from – I mean, it's not I a philosophical say, argument. It's a very real argument. We're talking about millions.
2: Okay, well, we're – it's a very – well, John, hold on. John, hold on. a that would offer up the virgin daughters of the ranchers of western North Dakota – the oil companies for the almighty buck
0: i don't think that's true i don't well, think that's you know, true I, I i think I think, I think i think i think it's a question of what's what's a reasonable standard and i'm not sure that we're applying a reasonable standard to this i mean there's 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 well, a point at which it,
2: is it four miles is it we it's can seven, see it's, it's maybe six three three days nine, year, seven miles or is it we see it half the days of the year it's or, six or, I mean, point nine seven know, but it's I six think point nine that seven is, is this seeing it, brother
0: I disagree. I think well, that well, this—I I, I understand that. I, I i think this is this is a ridiculous standard being applied by people who don't like oil development, and you know it's it's listen. This is an important piece of well, infrastructure, and uh, you know there, there there comes a point at which conservation is one thing, but I mean when you can barely you can't see a kite standing at the highest point of the park with binoculars.
2: At, at well, what I'll point is, 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 is it like... Was it a spotting stove How big was the kite? There's, the There's literally a more, picture more of the binoculars. There's literally a picture of the binoculars
0: on sayanythingblog.com. Go take a look at it, John. 701 Going to continue. Uh, email talk at wdy.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. rob report here on 970 wday 701 293 970 9329 email talk at wday.com theodore roosevelt national park is a it is a gem it is a beautiful place it is a it a a very important uh amenity very important resource for our state no question about it but Listen, I I think the problem is we we apply such absurd standards, right? We all want to protect the park. We all want to protect the environment. But I I, I think the enemies of the the people who have a a political, ideological objection to to oil development, right, They keep it in the ground, folks, the sort of people we saw out here during the the Dakota Access protests, there's – I, I, don't, I don't think there's any standard. I mean, if, if, you, if you move the, the refinery somewhere else, they're just going to come up with something else, right? I mean, there's there's no. The problem is, is a lot of times. And, and by the way, if you're just tuning in, what I'm talking about here, the Davis Refinery built by Meridian, it's going to be near, somewhat near Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Some of the, you know, a group has formed in opposition to it. They're claiming it's it's going to be. Uh, you know, right on the park's doorstep, and that it's going to be visible from the park. And I don't—I just don't think those things are necessarily true. Or, or to the extent that they are true, they're not. The opponents are exaggerating it. I—I I guess is maybe my point. Um, my larger point is that it's—it's it's really hard to have a good faith argument about issues like this, because. One side of this debate, a lot of times, are not necessarily arguing in good faith. Which well, is to say, they're not arguing for the purpose of of let's find a way to build this refinery in a way that doesn't impact the park negatively and and harm the you know conservation, environmental, uh, tourist asset that that park is. They just don't want to build refineries, and they're going to find whatever excuse they could find to not build them. Which to me is not a valid debate to have. We can build refineries safely. We can build these things to produce a product that we all use, and so we ought to. Now we ought to do best practices. We ought to do it the best we can. But you know we ought to do it. So that's I guess the, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I, I'm telling you, I mean, if it, if it wasn't near the bar, it would be another thing. There would be something because there's – there's they don't want to build a refinery. Again, I mean, this is a big deal. This, this is how big of a deal it is. The first Greenfield refinery to be built in the United States in 40 years. That's how big of a deal this is.
1: <sighs>
0: so that – Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, t- to me, when you do the test and you're flying a kite, and I, I, I get a, a kite's not as big as the refinery itself, but, I mean, when you can't even see the kite with binoculars, you know, I mean, how how far away is this? I am I, I, in favor of building infrastructure. I am in favor of building stuff. Humans are imperfect, you know. If we build a pipeline, eventually the pipeline probably going to leak, we're going to do the best we can to figure out ways to stop that from happening, to minimize it if it is going to happen, and to clean it up if it does happen. But humans are imperfect. And the problem is, is we have this ideological, this this really sort of rabid, left-wing, ideological objection to this sort of infrastructure, where they're just going to glom onto anything, and they're going to blow up everything, and they're going to blow everything out of proportion so that they get their way. And I'm tired of letting those sort of people get away with it. Got a caller, Jim. What's up,
3: Jim? How you doing, Rob? Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the, the hot dog argument. Everybody, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, most Americans, and I'd say some people in the other parts of the world, love to eat themselves a good old-fashioned ballpark hot dog, right? Sure. Sure. Just don't want to see a maid. You just yeah. don't want to yeah. see a maid. And Nobody wants to see yeah. this is And the argument here is that, no matter where, it doesn't matter where they want to put this refinery. Someone's going to argue about it, and someone's sure. going to say something. Well, this shouldn't be here because you can see this or you can see that. I lived in Castleton years and years ago when they started talking about that big old ethanol plant that they put just west of town. And you know what? When I still live there, and I don't live there anymore, but you can, I mean, I drive up from, from Kindred, and I can see the smoke coming out of the ethanol plant from 25 miles away. But it brought a lot of jobs, and it brought a lot of money, and it brought a lot of, of economic uh, viability to that area. I guess you know to a certain extent. But again, it, I just I sit here and I was listening to that last conversation, and all I could think about were hot dogs and everybody who loves to eat them. Just like gasoline, we like to use it. We just don't want to see where it's made. We don't want it made in our backyard, yeah. but we do want it nonetheless.
0: Yeah, every, all, all the people who get upset, you know, they like to eat hamburger and everything, but then they get upset when they see that the cows get butchered or whatever. Like, it's it's right. always that farm kid feeling, right? Like, like yeah. farm kids know where the food comes from, right? But, you know, the city kids don't necessarily know, well, this is where your hamburger comes from. And, yeah, the process is a little gross, but you know what? We got to do it because otherwise we won't have hamburgers. Thanks for the call, John. Appreciate it. I want to seek Tom in here before we break. Tom, we got about a minute left. What's up?
2: Okay, uh, you've got the uh, wastewater that comes from this. Where does this go? And what are the uh, what are they going to be refining here? Is it going to be oil. tar sands? Crude or oil. Just, well, crude oil is crude oil, but. Is it tar sands crude or is it what is crude or Bakken crude or
0: what? It's well, it's, well it's, uh, the, the idea, the idea is mostly Bakken crude. I mean, they're obviously building it in this region for a reason. We have a lot of oil here, so most, you know, their their focus is on Bakken crude. I don't know if eventually they would take shipments from other parts. I mean, obviously the oil markets change and shift. Okay, and nothing is forever. But okay, who is building it? Is this privately Meridian. owned or publicly owned? Private, well, I, I, I hope I hope we're not going to start building publicly owned oil refineries. That's a terrible idea. The company's called Meridian. It's a private venture.
2: I see. And why do they have to build it in the, in the national park?
0: Well, it's not in the national park.
2: Well, I thought you said it's in the... No. That or in
0: the... No, it's not in the national park. It's outside of the national park. I think what people are... Already, it's on private land near Belfield. It's there because that's where the oil is. They're saying it's too close to the national park, although you can't even see it oh. from the park.
2: Oh. Oh. So, what are they planning on doing all this wastewater? You know, there's thousands and millions of gallons of wastewater full of toxic chemicals and stuff. And every time it floods or whatever, it gets into the groundwater. So, what are they going to do? Yeah, about it?
0: well, you know, I. We, we're, we've been refining in this country for years. I think we know how to deal with it. You know what? I think I'm going to try to get somebody from Meridian on the show and we can have a conversation about this because I think it's a good conversation to have. I got to go, though. More coming up straight ahead. You and the economist, David Flynn. Don't go anywhere. Rob, report on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. email talk at WDAY.com. On with me now, the man who's got all the answers about what the hell's going on with North Dakota's economy is uh, UND economics professor David Flynn. Mr. Flynn, how
4: are you? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you?
0: I am, I'm pretty good. I, I say you've got all the answers to the economy. Our economy is commodity-driven. So if you've got the answers about what North Dakota's economy is going to be, it means you know what the commodity markets are going to be. And if you know what the commodity markets are going to be, something tells me you wouldn't be a UND professor anymore. You'd be a billionaire on an island I think somewhere. that's exactly
4: right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That is the problem. So, what is the? I, I, Andrew Hafner had a had a had a good article, and I, I think it's a question on a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we came through a pretty pretty bruising budget cycle. Really, really the last two budget cycles pretty yeah pretty rough. Um, you know we we've, we've seen a lot of jobs. Uh, there was just a report out population in in a lot of the oil patch communities, Minot, Williston, Dickinson places like that. Population down a little bit. Um, what's the outlook for the economy? Best guess.
4: Well, I, I, I think right now what we're looking at is probably um, inconsistent, anemic growth and slight declines. I don't think what we're going to see will be the the you know the sustained declines that we saw for the you know, seven of the last eight quarters. Uh, you know, I think what we'll see will be a uh, you know maybe on the order of one and a half percent increase, maybe uh, a one percent decrease on a given quarter. Uh, to me, that says that if the recession-type momentum isn't over, it's at least it's at least waning, and you're starting to get to, to a recovery situation. But I don't think we're I don't think we're out of the woods in terms of, of you know, everything rosy, and we can grow uh, and and just move forward uh, with our with our lives again. I mean, it's still a, it's still up in the air situation.
0: You know, when the politicians talk about this, they always like to talk about the unemployment rate. And I think that's a little mm-hmm. funny. And I, I think what we just came through with with the oil situation, where obviously we had this big influx of workers and this very, very unusual situation, but I, I, I think it's an extreme that illustrated a long term point about North Dakota's job market, which is generally our unemployment rate is always low, and the politicians love bragging about it, but it's always mm-hmm. low because generally if people don't have jobs in North Dakota they leave
4: yeah right? exactly right. I mean there, there's not a lot of other things keeping them here generally speaking, and so yes,'ve we've, we've actually, I think long run had too low an unemployment rate. I think you could make the argument, and I have that you have before you, you have made unemployed. this that,
0: that North Dakota suffers from a chronic labor yes. shortage.
4: Absolutely. We we don't have the ability to to actually capitalize on all the growth opportunities that that the economy gets and, and have that come along because uh you know in in large part we just don't have the workers and if you get a lot of workers moving into one industry a chunk of them are coming from another industry or another geography and so I mean it's a really significant issue that North Dakota has.
0: I I agree. 701-293-9000-888-970 Nine three two nine. So, so drill down in, in, into this a little bit. I mean, as, as we're looking forward, you know, we're talking about. I mean, I mean are we just going to hold the line a little bit? I mean, are, are we? Is this? Is it safe to say that maybe this is rock bottom? I mean, you know, after um, everything we've if seen, if not rock
4: bottom, we're close. I mean, I, I don't think that that we'll see a, another huge set of precipitous drops. I think what we're going to have to come to grips with, I think, more is the fact that oil in some ways has hit its first boom-bust cycle it's matured as an industry in north dakota and even with price increases uh... in in the future do you really think we're going to see the rapid influx of population to the extent we did before? Are we going to see more automation uh, going on out in that sector? And so, I mean, I think I think one of the other things we have to tackle then is where do we go from here? What, what else? Because we're back at basically the beginning of 2012. Our real GDP as a state uh, – right now is back at the level it was in, in 2012, at the beginning of that year. So we lost four to five years of, of economic growth in, in real price-controlled terms.
0: 701 email talk at WDAY.com. You know, that's what the oil guys say when I talk to them, is we're, we're never going to get to 200 rigs again not just because oil prices probably aren't going to go, you know, be in a situation where we have like $100, $90 a barrel of oil again or whatever. Uh, right. You know, the, the global oil markets have changed. OPEC is teetering. Um, you know, so there's a lot going on with that. But also just technologically. I mean, it's just yeah. it's a different it's a different play now. They understand more about it. Uh, they they're constantly refining the techniques. I think everybody sort of thinks of, you know very statically of oil you know we just well they're just punching oils in the ground and it's the same thing as you know 100 years ago and it's not i mean even within no. the last 10 years you know they they have made very and it, it changes you know is it it's less labor intensive so there's just a lot of changes just within that market but what about agriculture i mean what's what's the outlook for i mean that's the other big thing i mean oil is sure. what everybody talks about but egg is is every bit as important to our state where are we going there
4: well, again, ag is another interesting play here. Commodity prices still being what they are, there's still a lot of uncertainty about the ability for commodity prices to hit any kind of sustained increase, and ag has, you know, even even in the last you know 10 years, ag is a share of the state economies down from the the almost double digit level to about half that, uh, and so it 's even if we see some significant uptick there it 's not going to immediately translate into I think widespread economic gains like some might expect or some might think uh, you know and and that 's really again the two main linchpins, like you mentioned, the energy and the ag we're going to have a lot of uncertainty and a lot of volatility about them going forward. And if you look at the other major sectors, in 2016, there was only one that had four positive growth quarters in 2016, and that was finance and insurance, which accounts for something like 4 to 6% of the state economy. So volatility in the overall economy, volatility in your linchpin sectors um, – there's a there's a good chance that we're hitting the bottom and and we're going to have low slow growth for a while while everybody adjusts all the realignments continue and then you turn around and and start to see you know positive growth once the proper realignments are made but I mean, it's going to be a searching process do you
0: uh, go, going back to the point you know we we have this chronic labor shortage and it, it really cuz we we talk all the time the politicians love to talk about diversifying north dakota's economy which Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense right i mean absolutely let's not take away from ag air energy but let's add to it right so we got a bigger Mm -hmm. piece of the pie and so that those two pieces of the pie when things happen to them they're not it's not it's not upsetting the whole pie right so exactly my that my my very tortured pie analogy um so how do we i mean because the politicians have talked about it we've tried all sorts of things how do we get to a point where we have the workers in the state to be able to capitalize on, say, you know, what's what's going on with UAVs at at, at University of North Dakota, right? That seems like a big sure. opportunity. But how do we have the sure. people here to, to, to staff that?
4: Well, yeah, and that's a great question. It's a real. The, the, this is the economic development chicken egg problem, right? I mean, how do we how do we if we had the people, we could support the industry. If we had the industry, we could get the people. Um, and and there's no one according to Hoyle rule. I. I there there are obviously two paths grossly you know oversimplified paths to take um one is the private market sector which i prefer and the second is the you know government subsidization se- uh, approach which I, I tend to not prefer i don't i don't think that that generally speaking works uh terribly well uh in general so i mean one of the things i, I think has to happen uh i think the state has to look and say you know here are the here are the, the ways in which private sector Players need to know what we have available. We have to go out, you know, whether it's a marketing campaign, whether it's a, we have to just, you know, wait and wait and wait and, and make the conditions, you know, known that there's growth opportunities here in North Dakota. Uh, I think that's the case. I think the UAV ones are really interesting one because we should have an advantage in that. There, are, there are clear advantages we have in that but I, I'm sure you read the stories like I do from around the country every every drone enthusiast is basically going about whatever they want to do regarding drones and testing it wherever they want to whether they're in violation of things like you know um, um, F, FAA yeah. regulations or what have you uh, or privacy laws Or, or It's, it's or, kind of like the, the early
0: days of the internet in some ways right where you just have all yeah. these people that are just kind of doing their own thing right? Like it's, yeah exactly It kind of started as this very structured thing and then it just it hit the it hit and now everybody's in their garage doing their own thing. Um, you know what I think would really help. North to, I mean, that, that yeah, makes it yeah. rough
4: to capitalize on it.
0: It it really does. Although it's exciting. I mean, it's just exciting just from a general human. I think it's great oh, yeah. anytime you have a technology that sets people off like that. But yeah, if you're trying to sort of have a have a very vertical, I, I guess, endeavor, it, it makes it tough. I think one thing that would really help North Dakota is climate change. If it just get a little warmer here, or something.
4: Well <laughs> we I, and yeah, yeah, it, it, it's funny, right, but I mean it, it is really the case that yeah it's it's uh I hear very often from from students, man, I am getting out of here to where it's warm. Uh, I hear from people who've lived here their whole lives uh i I didn't grow up here, I wasn't born here, I was born in Chicago, so i mean' I'm not, I'm not uh unknown to you know to averse to winter weather, but I hear so many people I'm just getting out of here, I'm going somewhere where it's warmer and and seriously, that's somewhere else sometimes it's St Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that much warmer.
0: <laughs> what?
4: Wow. I don't – yeah, it's a cloud, really? That's, yep. That's, that's a little strange. Uh, it's warmer there, man. Okay, well. All
0: right, well. <laughs> chickens.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, that, that that's one of those ones where it's like, we're just going to count you as a loss to begin with. All right? We I guess. We just didn't have a chance with you to begin with. But, but I mean, going back to your question, too, I, you know, th- this is a really uh, – I look. I think you look at the things you have. Uh, look, look at what assets you have to attract people. Um, I think you look at things like the UAV. I think you look at ag and you look at the the, the energy industries and how can how can supporting them be be used as a way to attract other people into the state. I think you look at higher ed as a way to bra- drag people into the state, uh, either for school or yeah. you know, with jobs. And then but we haven't, I mean,
0: them? not, not that I want to delve into higher ed. I mean, too deeply, but sure. I mean, we have it. I mean, that's always the argument, right. with tuition waivers and I mean, that always creates a lot of, a lot of no, 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 criticism no, or whatever, but you know, it's, it's, I mean, you look at, you look at the out of state students and at the ITD department for the state of North Dakota, just did a study not that long ago. Most of those students are leaving. I and mean, yep. they come here and they get the, and then they they take off again and i don't I don't know how to get them to to stay. I guess it's we'll probably have to solve that problem in another segment, David because we're out of time
4: <laughs> yeah, no, I think we will, but uh you know the other thing too I think um that that you look at and and this is something related to the oil boom. what you had was a lot of people coming in in those early to mid twenties starting family formation activities, and that's the key, is getting them in here, keeping them in here for, say, a period of four I'm years where they start to lay down roots, they they start family. Uh, North Dakota doesn't necessarily have, you know, in every city, a ton of stuff to make life grand for a 20-something. Um, but if you start having other concerns like raising a family education young children sure. those kinds of things then you start to get to to the point where okay north dakota is a really attractive option
0: yeah good points i uh, appreciate your time david all right you and the economist david flynn uh, you could actually he's got a great blog barter is evil you should check that out more to come we'll wrap up the show right after this don't go away
3: that's
2: okay
0: welcome back rob report here on 970 wday still a few minutes if you want to join the program 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com Natil, what what do you think north dakota could do to get more young people to stick around here
1: um i i guess for for me you're a young person well i i am i'm as far as most things are considered, yeah, I, I would is be, it
0: video game arcades? Do so we need to
4: put
1: I, I miss video game arcades, but that's a whole nother I, I do. that's a whole I, I other too. that's a whole nother thing i I think that smaller cities need to create more amenities, yeah, because right now the the population dispersal of North Dakota is very we're, we're very widely dispersed, yeah. and a lot of the cities that aren't fargo don't have a lot of the amenities that keep people around. I mean, the small towns have great schools, they have great communities to to raise families in, but there's not a lot to do for young adults. Yeah. And that's a problem because young adults get bored. And if there's, you know, if they if they don't have a real solid reason, like a very good job to lay down roots in these smaller towns, they're they're going to Choose to lay those roots down somewhere else.
0: When, when Mr. Our, our guest, U.N.D. economist uh, David Flynn from the last segment, he he actually made I had I had him. Gosh, I think it was maybe last year now, and I had him on the program, and he made that point, and it just resonated with me that North Dakota always. I mean, it's not. It wasn't just during the oil boom or when crop prices are high or whatever. North Dakota always has a, a labor shortage. I mean, we brag about that low unemployment rate, but it's really it's really not good. I mean, it, it would be nice. If we had a a ready pool of of people willing to go, and and I I agree with you. I mean, I, I wish there were more things to to, to keep people around. I mean, the, the bugaboo there though is that amenities cost money, right? I mean, if, and they if it's, they absolutely do. If it, and if it's a private business, it's like you know, if they can't turn a, I mean, how long do they have to go without a profit before they develop a customer base to where they can survive? And if it's if it's taxpayer funded, well, then you got to raise taxes. Well, if you raise taxes, well, then that's it. It, it could get prohibitive for people to move to a place that has high taxes and lots of amenity. So it's, you know, it's a chicken and the egg thing. I don't know how you do it.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know if the smart idea is to you know figure out a specific sort of amenity that's really going to attract people and you know take some test markets and maybe try out like a co op for people. Yeah. Because then you then you still have a privately owned business. It's just sure. privately it's privately owned, shared spread, amongst you, several and, and people. You're spreading it out,
0: and and, and maybe you're making it a community thing. And and you know maybe people are willing to say, hey, you know we recognize this may not be a profitable venture uh, At for least some not time, for a while yeah, but but we're investing in something in our community. Yeah, I mean I think that makes a lot of sense. But it's it's a quandary. I mean I I, I think that is. Before you can do anything else, before you could talk about, you know, wanting to diversify the state economy or anything else, we have got to talk about bringing people in. And a lot of the stuff we're doing to date isn't working. The stuff that we're doing through the university system isn't working, right? We're, we're, they're not the, the kid; – they're not staying. They're not staying in the state. And that's a problem because we need them to. And I don't know how we do that. And I talk with people all the time. At the, at the, uh, here at Minot Air Force Base, I'm sure it's the same over in Grand Forks. Uh, people who come here, they get stationed here for the military and then they they start families and they end up staying because the school system's great and, you know, whoever, whether it's the mom or the dad or maybe both who are in the Air Force or whatever, you know, when they get out, they find jobs or whatever and they end up staying and that's great, but I don't know how we replicate that.
1: Yeah, because the, the problem is that, I mean, this isn't just a, a trend in, you know, North Dakota or even just in you know, the last decade's worth of youth. It, young people tend toward urban hubs.
0: Yeah. Because
1: urban hubs have the the job diversity they're looking for, it has the amenities they're looking for. But and if it that's the has, lifestyle
0: they're looking for is like an urban lifestyle, you're not going to replicate that in you know, Castleton or Jamestown or wherever. You're just not, not going to replicate Not
1: in, not like in a major metropolitan way, but you can You're not going
0: to replicate Fargo anyway. <laughs> you know
1: no, and but but what I'm what I'm saying is it that it's those types of things that draw people to those urban areas and have for a very long time. So you have to find some way to at least bring some of that back to these more rural areas because otherwise states like North Dakota and Montana just aren't going to make it.
0: One thing that I am interested in because I don't know that we have seen the full effect manifest itself but as and I hate using this term because it's so loaded and they get beat up. But but I guess as the millennial generation, they're really the first sort of Internet generation, right? And I'm wondering if that is going to drive people maybe back into some of these rural communities, right? Because if you're if you're used to getting your entertainment through the Internet, if you're used to getting your goods and services through the Internet, it can make you a lot more mobile geographically. And it might make living in a small town – more attractive because you could still get those amenities through the internet if that's what you're used to. I, I'm I'm wondering if that can help. Well but and if, if I, telecommute... I don't I don't know we've I don't know that we've seen it manifested.
1: Well and if like telecommuting and video telecommuting becomes more acceptable in the workplace, I can see that helping too.
0: Yeah. Well, I know certain excellent bloggers that do it all the time. You don't wonderful. say. Yeah. All right. We got to go. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. I'll be sticking around for that. Catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at Say North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks again.